All right. It's a good way to start the morning, isn't it? That's a dance I do every morning when I get out of bed. So <laughs> well, again, it's good to be with you here today. Yesterday, uh, I was reminded of when you, we live here in San Diego, let's just be honest, we do not live in reality. And that's okay. That's okay. I was out there yesterday. We had, uh, it's uh, January, and we had baseball tryouts yesterday. So I got to the field at about 7 in the morning and was there till 5 at night, um, doing, hanging out and, and watching kids try out for the baseball season. And I just realized, you know, I've lived all over the country. I lived in Minnesota. I've lived in St. Louis. I've lived in Seattle, just kind of all over the place. And they aren't playing baseball in the middle of January. That's just the way it is. And we were out there, and I got a little sunburn on my arm, and I was kind of wondering if my friends in Minnesota feel bad for me. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask them later, but we're, we're totally blessed to be able to hang out and do that. So I enjoyed the day, a little tired from all day with baseball, but one thing that re, what I was reminded of is, for me, it's just fun to be out there with, it, with uh, all the kids, all the players, the other coaches, and it kind of reminds me of, I, I had a lot of years where I worked in youth ministry, and just enjoy being with students. And I was reminded when I uh, moved from, I used to live up in Seattle, uh, go Seahawks, maybe. We'll see how that goes today. Um, I won't say anything for those of you who are recording the game or who care. Does anyone care? Okay, never mind. All right, so um, I, I don't want to confess and say I checked right before the service, but I checked the score. So, But um, when I moved down from Seattle down here, uh, one of the first things that I was asked to do, I moved to a, a large church in Fullerton, and we had a, a huge youth ministry there, and one of the first tasks, they said, oh, you're going to be leading a backpacking trip in the Sierra Mountains with 20 13-year-olds. And I went, okay, sounds good. Well, who's leading it? I'm going on the trip. They said, no, no, you're leading it. It's like, oh, I'm leading it. Okay, I've never been to the Sierras. They're like, yeah, it's fine. And, and, and so I looked, and they said, it's, it's about five days, and um, usually you go about 30 miles, and no big deal. And so I quickly got some help and started looking into this. And let me just explain to you. Now, backpacking, if you've ever gone backpacking before, you know, this is not like putting on a school backpack that has your water and, and you know, some power bars and you, you hike until you get to the base camp or to the hotel, as some of you would prefer, each night. But backpacking is you have to take your sleeping bag, your sleeping mat, your tent, your cooking utensils, our cooking materials, all of your food, in this case also our bear canisters, uh, any flashlights or anything, as well as, um, and everyone also, also has to carry a small shovel um, for the trip. So and in case you haven't been backpacking, you don't know what the small shovel is for, let me just say there aren't out, outhouses along the trail, okay? So yeah, <laughs> that's good. There's some faces over there like, oh, okay, so... We know you're not going backpacking. Okay, yeah, I got you. <laughs> and, and so, and that's for one week, basically, five days with this. And with, my, I remind you, 20 13-year-olds was the task. Now, when we looked at this, based on the permits and how it works in California, the first day we looked at our trail, and we had to cover seven miles and almost 4,000 feet of vertical in the first day was the task. And I kept saying, yeah, but I have 13-year-olds with me carrying these packs. Now, one of the things we had to do to prepare for the trip 
is we bought all the food because we said we're, we're controlling what you eat. So we bought all the food, packed it into the bear canisters. Uh, we had all the materials, all the supplies, and we had to load them up. Now, one, the only way to do it is you had to divide the groups into smaller pods. So there's groups of about three people per pod, and in that pod they'd carry their tent, their food, and their, uh, their stove and things for, to cook the food and the water purifier, all that stuff. That's in each pod could be a self-sustaining unit. So we had that. Now we'd pack all that up. The students then, the day before the trip, we had to do a weigh-in. Because to do it safely, you had to make sure that the weight that they were carrying was only a certain percentage of their weight. If it's too much, and and trust me, when you have a 13-year-old boy, some of those, it's like the pack is as big as they are. And so you put them on the scale, and I, I thought, well, it doubles your weight, but that's no big deal, you'll be fine. Apparently that's not right. But so we had to, then after you weigh them in, you had to kind of redistribute among each pod to figure it out. Now, when we were preparing for this trip, we had families, parents in particular, would ask and say, okay, you're going how far with my son or daughter through the mountains? Are you sure they can handle that? That was a question I got often. To which I'd usually say something like, most of them will. If they can't, we'll pick them up on the way back down the hill. So, but when we looked at the task, yes, it was huge. When I looked at the very first day and thought, how are we going to go seven miles uphill? And it ended up being exposed by the sun almost the entire day. How are we going to do that? The kids titled it the big dog hike. They were preparing for the big dog hike for day one to go on this. And the truth is, when we looked at everything that needed to be carried and everything that needed to happen on the first day, from first glance, we looked at that and thought, I don't know how we're going to accomplish this. That's why when you go backpacking, you do it as a group. When you start dispersing your responsibilities and when everyone participates, something like the big dog hike becomes attainable. And it actually worked. We made it, we had um, only one issue, and it was the first day. And it was one of our students, one of uh, the boys, and he was probably one of our bigger, most athletic boys. About halfway through the day, he got very sick, probably altitude sickness. So we gave him the altitude sickness pills, and then we looked at his pack, about 50 pounds or so, and then had to disperse it. I think I had an extra 30. And we carried it up to the top. He could barely walk. We got him to the campsite for the night, and we're like, why is your stuff so heavy? We started looking through it. I kid you not, we pulled out a six-pack of (laughs) Coca-Cola. To which there's only five left. And we looked at him like, are you serious? This was not on the packing list. <laughs> but um, uh, he was fine. We ended up making it on the trip. But other, that, other than that, we didn't have any issues. But again, because when everyone participates, we were able to accomplish something that seemed impossible. Now, to this point uh, in our series, we've been going through a series in the book of Ephesians. And we've been talking about the first three chapters, Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and he talks a lot about your individual identity, what Christ has done to make you who you are. Last week, we changed gears a bit. In chapter 4, Paul began speaking about, because of who you are, now I want to tell you there's something more. It's you're included in a family, in a bigger group of people. And this week, what we want to do is take the idea of What does it mean to be a family? And as Dale taught us last week, he talked about when a family comes the mess, right? There's no model homes in Christianity. Now we all live in it. We're a family together. But with this big, messy family, this week we want to look at 
why does God call us to the family? Why does he choose to bless us with more family members? And what I want to look at today and what we're going to study is he calls us to this because there's a big dog hike. There's a mission that God has. And when we look at that mission, we can see it and say, I don't know how we can attain what you want to attain, God. If the creator of the universe has this idea of how he wants to redeem and restore people, I don't know how I can do that. And I can't on my own. That's why God calls his followers and makes us into a family, a big, messy family. And yes, we have crazy uncles. Some of you are that person. (laughs) And we work together to accomplish this mission that God has for us. And that's what Paul is presenting today. And what we want to begin with is the understanding that when we look around North San Diego County, I want you to know that our God's desire for this community is that lives are transformed and people experience life. That marriages that are struggling can be healed and restored. That people who are working through addiction and brokenness can find hope. That the people of God can be agents of light and restoration in this community. And that this world can actually be transformed through our God. That's a huge mission. That is a big dog hike. And he calls us to that with each other. So pray with me and then we'll jump into our text. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that you care so much about your people. You care about the people who have not yet chosen to follow you. You care about the people who are hurting. You care about those who feel like there's no hope and no peace in the world. Lord, you want to see the world changed. God, you've called us to it. So I pray this morning as we look into your word that this would be about you that we could all learn, that we'd all be open to what you're telling us today, that we may be transformed so that we can participate with you in transforming our world. So we thank you and we ask that you'd move through us right now as we study. In your name, amen. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. And beginning in verse 7, What we're going to do today is I'm just going to walk through the text with you and find application as it goes and kind of point a few things out and then we'll we'll, uh, continue to study this here. Uh, But we're going to walk through it verse by verse. Now, when we start here, remember, let's remember this is in light of all the setup that Paul has given to this point. In fact, in verse 7 when he begins, he says, but eat... But to each one of you, grace was given. So anytime you have that, you need to say, what do you mean? What, what's the but? What, what are you talking about? And this is based on last week when we ended looking at there was one faith, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, one church, one body that we're called to. So Paul says there's one thing that unifies all of us. And there's one cause for the family. So Paul says there should be a lot of unity in the family of God. And then the very next thing he says, but even though I want you to be very unified, there's only one body. I want you to know that to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, when we look at this new modern family, the way God has designed us, and say, how can we be people who are united? How can we be unified, God, when we're different? Paul says, okay, now let me explain this to you. 
Let me teach you how you can find unity even though you're all different. So the very first thing we find here is, is we, Paul begins with the first few verses. We're going to look at uh, 7 through 12. And it's all about uh, kind of an understanding of how we can have unity even though there's diversity. And the very first thing is there in verse 7. When he says, Each one, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So the first thing we can learn for finding unity in Christ is knowing that we are gifted because of the grace of God. We are made unique because of what God does in our lives, as opposed to what you can accomplish on your own. See, we can find unity with one another when we understand that I am who I am with my strengths and weaknesses because of what God has given to me. You are who you are because, with your strengths and weaknesses because what God has done for you. And when I have that understanding and not the idea that it's because I somehow attained more education or because I'm more intelligent or because I've had better opportunities or I've made things happen for myself, when I begin to learn that, wait, God has made me who I am, he's made you who you are, and it comes from our Father in heaven, then I don't have to, then I can find more unity because I can accept you who, as you are. And you can accept me as I am. And I can accept me as I am knowing that God has made me a unique way, and God has made you a unique way. And notice there, he says, each to his own measure. So it's different ways that God has poured out his grace on us, with different abilities and different levels. We should be no more or no less than what God has made you to be. When we begin with that understanding that it's God's grace poured out, it's his gift, we can have a pathway towards unity because we can accept each other where we're at. Now, Paul does something here after verse 7. And he tries to, he attempts, and I, he does it in his way very well, in the next couple of verses to explain what he means by verse 7. And we're going to go into this. This is called a parenthetical phrase. So he kind of stops, takes a step back to explain verse 7. Now, we're going to read it. And if you've never read this before, it's okay if you say that doesn't clarify anything. But we'll read it. <laughs> So in verse 7, he says, Each one, a grace, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, here's his explanation of that. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led, a cap, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. Clear? <laughs> it can, this is a little bit of a confusing passage, but let's break it down the best we can to understand how does this reinforce Paul's idea that we're made unique according to God's gift to us? And how does it reinforce the idea that we should be united? Sounds like a rabbit trail. First he gives you verse 7, then he says, Therefore it says, no, he says, therefore it says, he's referring back to Scripture. So he's expanding on a piece of scripture. In this case, Psalm chapter 68 is what he starts talking about. In Psalm 68, we call it, it's kind of a, a, a victor's psalm. It's a psalm about a king or it, for Israel leading them out of uh, captivity and in a victorious conquest. So it's identifying with God as leading his people and being the victor. And verse 18 is the actual verse here that Paul refers to, talking about, and the king came out victorious and ascended and gave, he led his captives free and gave gifts to man. 
Now, in context, what he's referring to here is in the ancient world, if you were a king going into battle and you won the battle, you would take the spoils of war. You would take things from where you, where you won the victory. You take your prize for winning the battle. And so Psalm 68 talks as a king who wins a battle and ascends out of the city with these, with these gifts or the spoils of victory and gives gifts along the way, gives gifts to men. Now Paul is using this to explain what he, a, a way that he believes explains what Christ does for us. He says this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except for he had descended to the lower parts of the earth? Now there's a lot of debate on what all of these mean. I'm not getting into all of that debate today. Except for to say, Paul is painting a picture here when he says when Christ descends to lower parts of the earth, it means that our King, Jesus Christ, who comes, as he descended and we believe got a victory through his death and burial, he died for our sins and he ascended He rose from the dead once and for all, claiming victory over the sin and spiritual separation that exists before Christ's sacrifice. So he had a victory over sin and death on our behalf. That's a victory that Paul is alluding to here. And he says, and then so he ascended. In other words, he himself is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, so he might fill all things. So Christ rises up. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He has the victory over sin that keeps us captive. Now, he's the victorious king. Now, the question here is why does Paul refer to a victorious king having gifts and giving gifts to men? The question we need to ask is, so what does this victorious king, if it's Jesus, what does he win? What is the spoils of war for Jesus? And allow me to suggest for you this morning that the spoils of war, the the prize that Christ took with him with his victory, is you and it's me. He captured us from our spiritual death. He won the victory for our lives. And we are the prize that he won. Now, that we can accept. Now keep going. What is the application of that? Then it says he gave gifts to men. What does that mean? He took the spoils of war and gave them out as gifts. That means that he took his people, his followers, you and me, and he gave us as gifts. In other words, you are God's gift to mankind. I knew you were wondering that. <laughs> I, can't, I, I would really love to go back to my school teachers and tell them. Because they ask me often, Ryan, do you think you're God's gift to mankind? And I used to say, well, I think so, yes. But now I have the word of God on my side. <laughs> if I was smarter back then, I would say, well, Jesus says so. I don't know about you, but... <laughs> So the spoils of war are you and me, and he gives gifts. He gives us out as gifts. Now, to further argue that case, look at verse 11. Because in the Greek here, we have to attach what's, given, what's being given out. What's he talking about? And the very first thing he says, he gives some gifts as apostles. So when he gives some as apostles, there it is not necessarily saying he gives some gifts of being an apostle to people. He's saying some of those gifts he gives out are apostles. Some are prophets. 
Some are evangelists. Some are pastors and teachers. The gifts that he's giving out, these are some of the gifts that he was giving out. Now, some people will look at this and say these, he's specifically referring to here the very first group of Christians, the very first church. And you can make that case. But I do believe that the, the truth applies even to us today, that there are people that are gifted in certain ways and given to others, and we're going to get who the others are, with various different gifting. Apostle, in this case, often refers to the very first church, people sent with the authority by Christ to begin new movements or to, to spread uh, the word of God. The first disciples, Paul, they were referred to as apostles, sent with authority. You can make a very strong case that that is still applies to many people today who have kind of, I would say, the spirit of being an apostle. People who, are, who begin new ministries, who pave new grounds, often missionaries, church planters, people like that are often that spirit of apostles. They want to begin new things. They feel God has called them and positioned them and, and sent them to begin works of God in other places. Maybe for some, it's they feel a burden for the high school campus and say, I'm going to start a group of, uh, at my high school campus to help others learn about Christ. That's a spirit of an apostle. Someone who's beginning these new movements. Prophets. Prophet here has nothing to do with predicting the future. Prophets are people who declare God's truth. It's exhortation. It's comforting. And sometimes it's warning. So prophets kind of come with this message from God. Again, some would argue this existed only in the first church, but there's a spirit of people today who are a gift to the church because they have that spirit of being a prophet, of being able to declare God's truth in timely manner. Some as evangelists. We know many in this congregation who just, they're that gift to mankind because their spirit in them is an evangelist. Everywhere they go, they share the message of Jesus through their words, through their deeds. They just have that gift. We had a friend in, when we lived in Mission Viejo who she just, there's this, everyone she talked to, she'd share Christ with them and half of them would respond. And we used to think like, what does she do? What is her magic words? And we try to even like emulate some of it and just would fail. Like, I don't get it. She's just good at it. We have people in our congregation here who every week, they're like, oh, I met someone at Starbucks and I talked with them and now, now they're here with us at church. They became a Christian. You're like, Seriously? God's, God gives them as a gift, as an evangelism. Some, it says, are teachers. That's people who like to break down the text and, and, and dig into to truth and organize it in a way that makes sense. They have that gift. Many of you have that. Some of you, every time I preach, will send me emails and say, have you thought of this, 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 this? So you make me work harder, and I love it. It's so good. It's so good. Some of you, you're a gift to the church because God has placed that in you. Others, it's pastor. The word pastor here is actually the same word we use for shepherd. In fact, in most cultures, even today, most languages, the word for pastor is the word they use for shepherd, like shepherd of sheep uh, in, in most of our languages. In fact, even when we did our project over Christmas where we asked someone to uh, from Tanzania, uh, one of our friends there, to paint the pictures for our Christmas series, when he was painting them, we asked him to paint a shepherd. And he painted this really nice big painting of a pastor wearing a little cross around his neck. Because <laughs> he's like, oh, that's a shepherd. We meant like shepherd out with sheep. But so the idea of being a pastor is someone who cares so much for people. When he sees them straying, they like to go and pull them in. If he sees someone hurting, 
she'll pull them in and, and have a pastor heart for those people. Some have that gift of being a pastor and they're given to the church with that gift. It's God's gift. As we move on in the text here, um, it's important to remember here then that it's gifted people that are the gifts given to others. That's the gifts that Jesus is dishing out. Now, why does he do that? Let's check in verse 12 here. He gives some as pastors, prophets, or sorry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Now, who are the saints when it comes to Scripture? Anytime you see that word, got good news for you. You are a saint if you're a follower of Jesus. Again, if I could talk to my teachers, the other thing I would like to tell them is I'm also a saint. <laughs> Not only am I God's gift to mankind, I'm a saint. Just, just so you know. <laughs> I don't know why I ever got in trouble in school. <laughs> but so for the equipping of the saints, so there's gifted people given to build up for the equipping of the saints. This word equipping here is the same for mending nets. Why would they use mending nets? Look at this. Equipping of the saints for the works of service. The church is intended to, we are supposed to build each other up for the purpose of works of service. If you never use your net, you don't need to mend it. But when the net is being used and when it's out there in, on mission with God and it's in the community and it's, it's, we're living out and trying to put Christ on display, the net is going to get destroyed from time to time. It's tough. Why do we come back and gather together? Why do we encourage you to be in life groups? To connect in smaller groups? Because that's where the net is mended and fixed. There's a lot of people who like to say, well, you know, my church is every morning I wake up and read the Bible and listen, sing some songs and, and smell my flowers and that's worship for me and I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be with other people because I have that. I don't want to live in a world where I'm trying to mend myself every week because it's not going to work. God's designed the church to build each other up for a purpose, to equip the saints for works of service, to be out there doing something. And get this, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, if you've been around church for a while, if you've maybe read scripture before, or kind of even been around Sikas for a while, maybe you've heard the term, the body of Christ. It's familiar to us. But when we talk about being a unified family, one thing we, the other thing we need to remember is if the church is a body, that makes you a body part. You are a part of this body. We all are. For me, I, I have to confess, I used to take my middle toe for granted. Seriously, I never thought about my middle toe at all. It was just the guy, he was shorter than the one next to him and taller than the other one. That's it. Some of you, it's opposite. I don't know why, but yeah. But I never cared about my middle toe until one day I was out wakeboarding and I got off the wakeboard and was walking on shore and I hit a rock. And somehow I broke just my middle toe. I don't know how. Again, his friend right next to him is taller, but I broke the middle toe. And do you know what doctors say when you break your middle toe? That must hurt. <laughs> That's what they tell you. Then you say, well, what should I do? They say, tough it out. There's nothing you can do. It's broken. They don't care. 
And I never thought I cared about my middle toe until I broke it. And I tried walking around. And for two months, that middle toe reminded me every day that he was there. <laughs> or she, I don't know. <laughs> and here it is. In the body of Christ, you may think of yourself as a middle toe. You might say, you know what, I don't really matter. And when the body's functioning the way it is, we're all doing our part and it works. But when the middle toe hurts, when it's broken, the church is not the way it's supposed to be. Some of you have gifts and they might be very small in your mind, but they're really important. And when they're lacking, we're not complete. Because none of us are everything God needs us to be to the world. But together we are. So if you are the middle toe, we need you. If you're the beautiful face, we need you. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In other words, if you're the beautiful face, don't think that you're a lot more important than the middle toe. Think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and we individually are members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, each of us is to exercise our unique gifts accordingly. We need each other. How we can be unified in Christ is one, knowing that we're gifted because of what God has done. And secondly, it's because we are all part of the body together. So as we continue on with this passage here, and, and Paul ends in verse 13 with this train of thought, he kind of gives a picture of three things that are a picture of when the body is functioning healthy, in a healthy way. When I say the body, we mean the community, we mean the church, we mean the family of God. He says this in verse 13. We're building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son and God to a mature man, and to the measure of the stature which begins to the fullness, belongs to the fullness of Christ. So there's three things he mentions that show up of signs of a healthy functioning body or community or family of God. So let's look at these three as we end. First one is this, it's unity of faith. When we can, in our diversity, find unity and function the way God has called us to function, one sign of that is there's unity in faith. Unity of faith. How do we have unity in faith? One of those things is united in purpose. We all understand that we're part of a bigger calling and we're in it together. We dream of being a church that every Sunday when we gather, we understand that we're in a place where we believe that God is able to show up and transform lives. We want to be that kind of church. We want to approach every Sunday as if when we show up, we believe that God can do something in the lives of somebody. And He will. We want to approach life as if when we leave from here, that God wants to use us to transform the lives that we interact with. We want to believe that. We're going to be united in purpose. That's what it means, unity in faith. To, one, to have that united mission. To understand we're in it together. I always think of road trips as a good metaphor for what that looks like. 
Anyone grew up doing the family road trips? I grew up doing a few of them, and my dad would always say, just wake up and look outside. It's a beautiful country. You know, that was the speech. I'm like, Dad, it's South Dakota. It's not. But... Um, <laughs> And now I say it to my kids. (laughs) But road trips, you know, you're kind of functioning together and you're you're living. I I drove a couple years ago from San Diego to Maine with my my three boys. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good learning that happens there. And (laughs) but the united in purpose, understanding that some of this road is tough, but we, we know what we're going for. Actually, the goal was Fenway Park in Boston. And so. You know, when you're going to um, God's gift to mankind, it's easier to be focused. But <laughs> but that unity and purpose, we know where we're going. We're going there together. The other one is to have unity and faith is valuing everyone's contribution. When I say that, that means that you ha- we learn to be okay with the strengths and weaknesses of others. And we learn to be okay with our own strengths and, we- strengths and weaknesses. When we value the contribution that everyone has to give, we don't have to say, well, that person is really good at teaching or that person is really great at worship and that person is just the best greeter in the world. They know everyone's name. They're so nice and I'm not. See, when we value everyone's contribution, we can say that person is so perfect where they belong because they need to be there. And maybe for you, your perfect place is in the coffee ministry because you genuinely love to connect with people over coffee every Sunday. Don't diminish that place. Maybe for some of you, your place is in with the 5th and 6th graders and you say, I love being there more than anywhere else. That is a great place. For some of you, it's junior high ministry. Believe it or not, for some of you, it's junior high ministry. Some of you, I think it's junior high ministry, but you're not over there yet, and you need to be. Shameless plug. (laughs) But we value the contribution of the people who love our junior hires as much as we value the contribution of the people who make our coffee, the people who fold the bulletins, the people who go and serve the homeless, the people who serve at this community resource center, the people who go over to Africa, the people who serve at Sunset High School, the people who share the love of Christ with their neighbors. We value that, the strengths in others, and we don't diminish their weaknesses, or we don't harp on their weaknesses or even diminish our strengths. We say, this is who we are. We find unity when we value everyone's contribution. So unity of faith. The second one that Paul says, a sign of a healthy church is a full knowledge of the Son. We spend so much time here studying scripture because we want to understand the heart of God. We want to understand who Jesus is. We want to understand not just what he did, but what his heart is and how that applies to us today. We want the full knowledge of the Son. We don't just want to memorize where he went and his pathway and the trail and all of that. We want to memorize his words and his deeds and we want to put those into practice in our lives. We want to be a church that has the full knowledge of the Son of God. That's why we study Scripture every Sunday together. That's why we send uh, daily encounters, we call them. If you want to have something to provide structure for diving into the Word five times a week, you can receive the email. And it will give you some thoughts to reflect on related to this passage. We do that because we want the full knowledge of the Son of God. We care about that. And when we care about that, we don't follow every new idea that comes. We want to structure how we do things based on what Jesus, 
with his heart for us and for his people. So full knowledge of the Son, and then finally, it's the fullness of Christ on display. It says, to a mature man until... Uh, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ is how Paul writes it. In other words, a sign of a healthy community is when the fullness of Christ is on display. When we all are living out the ways of Jesus, the way he's uniquely positioned us and participating in the story, the fullness of Christ can be on display for the world to see. Yesterday when I'm at the baseball fields, I'm looking at this group of people that I've gotten to know over the last four years. And I think, I just, I love being with a lot of them. There's some that I just have really gotten to be great friends with. And I look at them and think, I need our community to continue to put the fullness of Christ on display for them. Because I believe that God wants to transform and change our community, including my friends and their hearts. Uh, Couple months, or last month, our family went to the Encinitas Holiday Parade. I don't know if you've ever been to that. It always reminds me every year of one, uh, we think we're a small town, <laughs> and two, um, Encinitas were very quirky. <laughs> it's just the way it is. The Encinitas Holiday Parade, I think more people are in the parade than watching it. <laughs> and that's like thousands of people. It's, it's seriously, I, I kid you not, the one street over, my neighbors have a float in the parade, and you know what it advertises? It advertises their street. There's there's nothing. It has their street sign and they all decorate it and throw out candy and then they park the float from their house for all of Christmas. I thought, what? I love this place. It's so weird. (laughs) There's no no reason for it. And that's just who we are here, right? It's North County. We're a quirky little beach town. And you know, when I saw that parade, I thought I had this picture of the church is kind of like putting Jesus on this massive, cool float so the whole community sees what it looks like, the way Jesus is. The way we interact with one another, the way we love the poor and the oppressed, the way we lean into pain, the way we bring hope where there's no hope, the way we are people of peace, the way we are people of love for each other. When we do that, Jesus is on the float in our quirky parade and the community can be transformed. It can It will still be funky. Trust me, it will. But it can be transformed by Jesus. That's what it means when the fullness of Christ is on display. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that kind of church community. That's what I want to be a part of. Where the mission is so big, it's the big dog hike where we say, God, you can't change this place. It's too unchangeable. He says, yeah, that's my goal. That's my mission. I'm asking you to participate to do it. We as a community are going to have an opportunity to put Christ on display in a small way. Um, On February 28th, we're doing a community serve day with two other churches. All three of us are going to cancel Sunday morning services at our buildings. And we're going to worship God, putting him on display as we serve our community. On February 28th, it's not a day off from church. Write it down. Make sure you're here. But not here. We'll tell you how to serve and be involved when three churches are going to say, Jesus is on display and we care about our community. We're going to serve on the 28th. I was thinking, uh, and I'll invite the worship team to start making their way out. But some of us, when we hold off from serving and living out the way God has called us to, 
the church hurts. The church misses it. A few years ago, I was not working in a church. I was working for a large retail company, doing some management with them. And, and I had a season in our life where we were just attending a church, a church we really enjoyed. And one of the Sunday mornings, a, a pretty large church, about 2,000 people, the worship center had 1,000 seats. So it was a pretty big building. And one Sunday morning, uh, the, the pastor spoke and taught on, on a kind of challenging issue and said, if this is speaking to any of you, go ahead and stand up where you are. And I thought, ooh, who will stand up? And across the room, so many people stood, I was surprised. And then he said, now those of you who didn't stand, I want you to go around the people who are standing and pray for them. And I remember thinking, you know, I've been around ministry a long time, that's a mistake, don't do that in church. Because nobody's going to do it, no one wants to do that, that's awkward. And it is awkward. So, I looked over and there was a guy about, you know, five seats away from me. He stood up and when they said, go pray for him, I kind of looked and I thought, someone better go pray for this guy. (laughs) He's asking for prayer. And kind of looked around and a couple seconds went by. Then finally, someone next to him put his hand out and prayed for him. And I thought, good, got it covered. I can still sit here. (laughs) Nice and comfortable. And then that night, um, that afternoon, we went home, and then um, my wife shared her perspective on the situation. <laughs> and it was something like, I'm paraphrasing, she's in here, she can hear, but um, it was something like, I wish you would be a real man every once in a while. <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> and do something like go and pray for that guy who needed prayer, and he was right by you. And, you know, I was like, oh, thank you, honey, for the night inside. <laughs> I think it went something like that. I don't know. <laughs> the bummer was she was right. And what was happening is, yeah, could God use someone else to pray? Yeah, of course. But in that moment, I knew, I knew that God wanted me to participate and be a part of that body of Christ there. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And so God graciously used my wife (laughs) to remind me that I wasn't being a part of the body of Christ. So as we end our time here, we're going to end with a couple worship songs. But I leave that with you because I know that God's hopefully moving in the lives of all of us in different ways. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment of just the music we'll be on and just reflection. I want us to uh, take a posture of prayer. And maybe this morning, just let God speak to you. And for you, it might be, God, what are you calling me to do? It might be just an encouragement. Maybe a voice from God saying, thank you for being faithful and continue to serve. For some, it might be, you know, I've been pulling on your heart for a long time to get involved in whatever, this or that. And it's time to get out of your chair and do it. I don't know what it is for you. But let's take a moment and just allow God to speak however that looks in your life. And then when you're ready to join in with worship, we're going to end with a couple songs. And remember that we're talking about a big dog hike of a mission. And we need each other to participate in this. So let's take a posture of prayer. However that is for you, it might be just bowing your head, closing your eyes. It's between you and God right now. And take some moments to reflect and join in in worship 
when you're ready.